Hey, welcome to the Harry Man Show number 26, where we're going to blast off with Derek Roddy. <laughs> uh, today, <Woo-hoo>. I, have, <laughs> I have one of the best metal drummer, uh, Blast Beat. Uh, he just, this guy is super influential. He's been playing a mini a metal axe, Nile, Hate Internal, etc., etc. I've been a huge fan of his drumming, his uh, technique, his, uh, you know, this is his exercises. Um, how you doing, Derek? Nothing, doing good, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah, sorry to fanboy <laughs> out there a little bit, but yeah, it's, 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 it's huge for me, and I really appreciate it. Hey, no worries. No worries. We'll have fun. All right. Well, uh, Derek is joining us from a uh, sunny state of Florida. Um, we kind of asked, uh, Derek, uh, how you doing out there right now? Doing great. Beautiful day. Nice morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just to kind of back up, um, what do you, what got you in the plane in the first place? Um, you know, I would, I think the first influence would probably be just my family in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of music in the house when I was very young. Um, you know, my dad played guitar. My father actually, he had a, um, a country song on billboard in the mid eighties. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. He had, um, at the local music store, met a producer <laughs> and they started talking and, and my dad was like, he never really wanted to perform, but he had a couple of songs that he thought were really good that he wanted to sell. And he met this producer and the producer said, well, why don't you, you know, come in into the studio, we'll record them. So he went in and recorded the songs in retrospect, like I said, to try to shop the songs for another artist to record them. And once the producer heard the song, he, you know, the couple songs my dad had, he was like, man, he goes, you, you should just put these out yourself. Right? Your voice is great. The songs are good. we got the musicians right here. Let's just do it. And it ended up making it to like number 30-something on Billboard in 84 or 85. Um, the song was called Memories of You, and my father's name is Randy Roddy. Oh, nice. So. And you could probably, I'm sure you could probably look it up and find it somewhere. Oh, I will. I'm <laughs> definitely gonna check it out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like country ballad kind of stuff, you know. But um, that's basically how I got, you know, just involved in music because I was around it all the time. My mom and dad were constantly playing and singing. Um, my brother is nine years older than me, and he plays guitar. And you know, when when he was. 15, 16, he started getting into bands and, you know, me being almost a decade younger, I would, you know, just sit there and watch him play <clears throat> with the, you know, bands and whatnot. But, um, my dad ended up buying me a kit when I was maybe five, I think five or six years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just never looked back. I mean, once he put me behind the drum kit, man, I just beat the crap out of it. <laughs> you know, it just, just really took off and I think between the combination of my brother being that much older he brought uh, Kiss and Black Sabbath and Alice Cooper you know the Doobie Brothers Allman Brothers all the Southern Rock Leonard Skinner all that stuff you know was influential because of my brother nice. you know so that's basically how it got started in fact my, my brother and my cousin and I my cousin's five years older my brother's nine years older and uh, we had a band and by the time I was, God, eight years old, we were playing out, you know, and, and, and playing like, you know, not quote shows, but we would play for like, for instance, my mom's garden club meetings or like the local church stuff, you know, just playing wow. covers and, and things, you know. Um, Do you remember so what, yeah, I mean, I've always, always been involved with it, you know. Did you remember what kind of kid it was or was it just a kind of a, like a Sears style, style kid or was it? <clears throat> 
Oh, yeah. Okay, well, here's that story. So my dad initially bought me the best Sears and Roebuck, like, drum kit, you know, that they had oh, yeah. on Christmas. Uh-huh. And uh, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, Christmas was a Saturday. By Monday, I had completely destroyed this thing. So my dad <laughs> took it back. And, yeah, yeah, so he had taken it back. And the guy at Sears, I remember this, too. I remember standing in the line at the returns and dad bring this back. And the guy was like, man, we've never had a kid do this to one of these before. <laughs> you know? Yeah, if you only knew, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right? But that very next day, we went to the local music store, Tri-City Music in Columbia, South Carolina. And he bought me a Royce five-piece. Um, it was silver, actually. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so a little silver, like voice five piece, and uh, I think I played that kit for probably when I was playing with my brother and my cousin, probably for four or five years, and then he ended up getting me actually a nice set of Rogers drums. Oh, nice! Uh, yeah, and they were like you know the real good like Rogers drums at the time, um, and I that's one kit that I wish I still had. I'm kind of a gear junkie anyway, and I oh, love yeah. gear, and I have way too much crap. You know, what I mean, <laughs> I got way too much stuff. Um, but I can't help it, you know. I'm just addicted to this stuff, and uh, it started like way back then, even. But that was that's one kit that I wish I still had. Yeah. Um, just from the nostalgia of it, you know. And then, um, um, obviously, being around musicians, were you self-taught, or did you start taking lessons at all? Well, I was pretty much self-taught, and then my brother suggested that I tried to take some lessons, and I went to another local music store that taught lessons and I went once and the guy was honestly, he was an asshole and like he, <laughs> I didn't really feel he was all that great anyway. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I was already kind of playing stuff that he was trying to teach me pretty proficiently at the time anyway. So I just kind of, you know, gave up on that. But I did, once I got into middle school, I got into like school bands. I was in marching band, for example, in high school, I played snare drum in my marching band at Brooklyn Casey high school. And, um, so, you know, I, I've always been, I've always loved the educational side of it. I just never really felt like, you know, you know, the private lessons thing. I learned more by watching and and just listening to other people. And that's one thing that I did when I was really young. I was very creative. I could think of probably six or eight drummers in my neighborhood that were all older than me. And I, I would get to go watch them play in their band. So these guys were all really good. I mean, we had some really outstanding standing drummers in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh-huh. Even just in my neighborhood, there were four or five guys that were playing, you know, like the like the Rain and Blood record from beginning to end. Like, oh, I wasn't just an old guy, man. There were a lot of guys, you know, <clears throat> and a lot of drummers that have come out of South Carolina that have gone on to do, to do you know, a lot of cool things. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I was lucky because I would see all these guys that were older than me, and I would just spend my time, like, there was one band and one drummer. He was five years older, and his name was Jason Moore. And Jason had this band called, at the time, they were called Xavier, I think. And they did covers, but they also did original stuff. They covered, like, Lime of the Ancient Mariner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. they were doing some serious stuff, you know, for, for a local high school band at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in middle school just watching these cats, and I grew up, you know, just watching all these musicians play and learn. And, I think we all came up as a big as a big community of, of drummers, like learning from each other and hanging. And not that it doesn't happen now; it does, but it's far more isolated than it used to be. You know? Oh well, yeah. Everything. I mean, sure, we got the internet 
and whatnot. And you can learn a lot by watching all these professional various people. But uh-huh. you develop less of an identity by doing that. I think you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So was that like, was that your obviously you're in the metal, but was that your introduction listening to the original Rain Blood Slayer and all that too? Yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of skipped over Metallica for the most part, like. Not that I wasn't into it or anything. It's just that I discovered heavier stuff before. I, you know, I was looking for at that point in time. I was just looking for heavy, fast music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it went from Kiss to Motley Crue to Maiden, from Maiden to Slayer, Slayer right to Napalm Death. You know, I kind of, so like Testament and Forbidden and Overkill, Metallica. I kind of skipped all of that stuff. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like it went kind of right over it. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that I don't appreciate it or don't like it, but just it wasn't. They those particular bands weren't as much of an influence on me as like Slayer and Napalm Death, and then some Napalm Death terrorizes the Morbid Angels. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, I like it, it went that road to DSI to you know. And then and that, was, that brings I had, me. I had, I had all of this other all of this other influential music, you know, growing up from the time I was you know five years old playing on a, on a play drum kit to get in a real kit, you know, but, you know, Southern rock and, and jazz and contemporary, and, you know, soft rock, adult rock or whatever, yacht rock, whatever you want to call it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I had a very wide, you know, vocabulary of music, even by the time I discovered metal. It's, it's, I think that's something that, like, younger people now don't really understand. Like, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as death metal. You know what I mean? Like, it, it didn't exist. Yeah. Um, even thrash. I mean, like, I, I got to see the birth of all of that stuff, you know, as it was happening. So it's kind of, that's kind of cool, you know? Nice. And then that's the question I was going to ask. Uh, were, you, were you just thrown into playing double bass, uh, you know, two bass drums at the time, or that's something you worked up gradually to? It's something that kind of gradually happened. I can tell you how it how it kind of started. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Motley Crue, Red Hot, that kind of stuff. You know, obviously it was a double bass, you know, thing, but it wasn't all that fast. It was more of like a power thing. So yeah. earlier, I figured out like I could just play that with one foot, like Red Hot. You know, <laughs> that, 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 that. yeah. So I just, I you know, all the people around me were doing a double bass because everybody had two bass drums because they were older. They could afford it. They had jobs. You know, I was just a young middle school kid, you know? Yeah. So, I had it. <clears throat> so when I got into the band, the one thing I realized is you could check out instruments. So I would take home the bass drum from the kit at school to back home to my house and set it up, you know, and play double bass over the weekend mm-hmm. and then take it back to school. And then maybe somebody else, another drummer would rent it and I wouldn't have it for the next weekend or whatever, you know, but, um, this was before double pedals. Like there were no double pedals. In fact, that back in the day, I used to take two bass drum pedals and put it on one drum. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just not clamp them down to the hoop. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. I, would, I would put them there and I could, you know, I would play double bass, like right on one drum, just put the pedals right beside each other. <laughs> That's how I started. <laughs> nice. 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 Yeah, <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And then <clears throat> those were the days where people played uh, two different size bass drums. I noticed you kind of do that with some of your setups. What were the advantages and disadvantages of that at the time? Well, I think a lot of it at the time was um, it was just what was available. There just wasn't a lot of like double bass drum kits available. So people, <clears throat> when 
you know, order stuff like the ordering in, in stores were different back then. Like they used to have like a kit and they would try to have like every size drum mm-hmm. to that kit. So if you wanted two bass drums, you didn't end up getting two twenty twos. You got like a twenty and a twenty two or twenty two and a twenty four. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, it was just the way stuff was allocated to these stores and how they sold retail back then, you know. Mm-hmm. Um my thing for doing it as I got older was I was just looking for two two separate bass drum sounds. Like I I like the whole idea of having a nice, tight, punchy sound for double bass and everything, but I also want like a big bottom kind of sound for some stuff, you know? Yeah. And um, that's why I started doing that. Like I was using a 20 with a double pedal, and then I would have like a 24 on the left with a single pedal on it, you know? So I could play the 24 with my left foot and play hi-hat opening close with my right foot because I had the two hi-hat bands in the kit, you know? Yeah, and that's one um, thing I have to give you credit on. Those ghost notes you do with your left foot, that's incredible stuff. Oh, like with a ribbon crasher kind yeah, of thing you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, the, the pattern. Yeah. Man, that's really cool to me, at least. You know, it's funny how that started, too. Is like I, I saw the very first clinic that Horacio Hernandez mm-hmm. did in America. I mean, he was literally fresh off the boat from Cuba, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, he did a clinic at Resurrection Drums. And I never will forget this. This is like pre-cell phones, right? <clears throat> and there was a payphone outside the door at Resurrection Drums. Resurrection Drums was in between two strip clubs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, which was kind of funny. So, um, and during that time period, uh, you know, there was the payphone out there. And when Horacio started playing, dude, the, the line at the payphone was like 40 drummers deep, man, of them trying to call every freaking single person they knew. to Dude, you got to get down here to Resurrection Drums and see this guy play drums. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, Nobody had ever seen anything like it, you know what I mean? He was literally playing with sticks. Not drumsticks, like sticks from a damn tree. Oh, really? Like, like they, he had whittled down, and it was like his favorite pair of, quote, sticks. You know, but he had come from Cuba, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's weird. <laughs> it's probably shocking to see. Yeah, I mean, they looked like drumsticks. They, didn't, they weren't, like, all like, crooked or nothing. But, you know, it's like, literally, so that's all they had there. They didn't have, like, music stores or nothing. You couldn't do any of that stuff in Cuba, you know? That's crazy. Um, so when he when he got out of there and came here, I mean, he was just playing all of this crazy stuff, and like nobody had ever seen it. So I was thinking to myself after watching him that day, like, wow! I started coming back, and I was I had just moved to Florida and just started playing with Malevolent Creation, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where all of that started. Like I was doing the whole glass thing, and and I had my left foot open, so I figured, man, why not try to let's put some patterns down there just to make the riffs a little more you know chunky or whatnot. Yeah, it definitely um, adds a lot of body to it. Yeah, and I, you know, that was just an influence from seeing a guy, you know, that's not a metal drummer, but doing something very different, you know. And uh, I was like, why can't I do that? I can probably do that, you know, figure <laughs> something out. It's t- not quite as syncopated, you know. It's not as difficult to do as what he's doing, you know. But um, yeah, and I know you. But, have, hey, you know, it's something. I know you have a book out on it, but uh, what what what, what uh, bass drum routines do you still do to this day that you started then and do now that you would highly recommend? Um, the only thing that I do just to my right foot is out of control. Um, I, I've for some reason I've got a really really good right foot. Um, my left foot blows. <laughs> it always has. It's never been great, but I, I injured myself about six eight years ago. Huh. I uh collapsed to my ankle. Oh, wow. Stepping off the curve. Yeah. And I haven't been the same since. Like, I mean, I can still play, you know, but it just doesn't feel, 
it doesn't feel the same. So the one thing that I constantly do all the time is I just use my left foot as much as I can. So if I'm playing, you know, if, if I can execute it with my left foot, I'm usually using my left foot. Um, skank beats, anything, you know, like, you know, slower blast beat stuff. Um, anytime, anytime I go to the ride symbol, for example, mm-hmm. I use my left foot. Oh, okay. I just make that a conscious thing. Like anytime I move to the bell of a ride or anytime I'm playing on the ride symbol, I'm usually playing with my left foot. Oh, it gives us symmetry there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, just, you know, the thing about people like, you know, double bass is, you know, your feet have to be even. You're only going to be as fast as your slowest limb, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I could play straight eighth notes with my right foot up to about 290. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, but my left foot by itself, I'd be lucky if I could push out right now probably 240. Huh. Right? So, yeah. so I, there's a good probably 50 to 40 BPM difference between my two feet. Um, and, it, and it's always kind of been like that. Like my, like I said, my right foot's just incredibly developed what it was. I think that's because I grew up playing, like I said, I used to play Red Hot with one foot, you know, the Motley Crue song. Uh-huh. Or um, what was the other one they had? Uh, Live wire, you know, the part in live wire. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was playing all of that with my, with a single right foot back in middle school, you know. So <laughs> I think that's probably where it came from. Uh-huh. All the Iron Maiden practicing and stuff, like that Peace of Mind record, man, I grew up playing. I must have played that record four or five times a day, every day, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, when I, I was in middle school. And I guess that brings to my next question. What was your introduction to Blast Beats? Was it around the same time, or did that something came later for you? Uh, no, Nathan, the moment I heard Napalm Death, I mean, that was probably 96, oh, 97. Nice. nice. So it was, it was either Repulsion, Napalm Death, uh, the Electro Hippie, uh, the Swans, maybe. Like, I was kind of into, like, the hardcore punk side of it more during that time period. The Accused. You remember The Accused from Washington State? I think I, I know the name, yeah. Oh my God, their drummer is ridiculous, man. Go back and listen to some of that old Marcus Flatterhead stuff. Listen to the drums on it, man. It's so killer. I, I was blown um, away by a band called Death by Stereo a while ago, and uh, he, he, that's okay. kinda, that was my yeah. inter- introduction to like kind of speed thrash metal. And uh, I know right. you probably laugh at that, but like I just remember hearing that, and going, "God, this guy is fast." You know what I mean? Just that was crazy to me at the time. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, um, you know the band Macabre. You know Dennis, the drummer from Macabre, at all. Uh, um, I, I'm sure it's going to come to me 20 minutes after we're done here, but yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he's another one. He's got that kind of style like that drummer in the accused had, you know, just hammer it out, you know, all acoustic kind of, you know, fast drumming and real, real articulate there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, there's very few players that play like that, you know, and I, I really, really dig that kind of playing, you know. It's like, I, I don't really not that I don't dig, you know, the newer players. I do. I love all of that stuff, but it just doesn't hit me in the feels like some of these guys that really play, you know what I mean? Like, they're not so much concerned about technique. They're more concerned about vibe and and uh, sound and, 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 you know, conviction, as opposed to, like, let me see how relaxed I can be. Let me see how, how fast I can play. Let me see how how you know low i can get my 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 strokes and how controlled i can you know that doesn't appeal to me so much you know well that was back in the day where it was one take recording too and that's something you're pretty well known for i heard yeah well i just grew up i grew up playing like that i had no other choice didn't we couldn't punch in we 
even the even the hate eternal stuff. I mean, we recorded that stuff on tape machines, you know. Yeah, so yeah. you can't you can't punch in on a tape machine with a recording the erase head or eighteen inches away from each other. You just you hear it. There's, unless there's a break in the song where you're not playing, you know what I mean. Like there's no option for punching in, or you're going to hear the punch. You know, so that's the difference between a lot of the guys that were recording at More Sound, for example, mm-hmm. and guys that record today in their in their living room. Um, and I know that Jim Morse did put out like a, there was a, somebody had done, I think it was, uh, Adam, uh, from misery index had interviewed, uh, Jim Morse and Jim Morse and said, Oh, all that shit you're talking about. Not a all edited all that stuff at Morse now, but what he failed to mention was like the type of editing that they were doing is not the type of editing that they're doing now. Okay. You know, I mean, so, for example, in 1994, if you wanted, if you, there was a double bass section and at the very end it kind of fell apart, you know, and you had to fix six notes, mm-hmm. literally fixing six notes took about three hours to do. <laughs> yeah, because you got to search and get in there and, you know, line it up. Yeah, yeah because, I mean, the, the technology and just, you know, and the computers that they were using to do at the time, you know, they just couldn't process this information very quickly. Yeah. You know, so it's not the same thing as, like, having a drummer record something today and then putting it on a grid and then using elastic time to put the drummer in time. You know what I mean? It's not the same thing that the recording process is not the same as it used to be. You yeah, know what I mean? So I think that has had, it's had a major effect on the way drummers sound and the way that they, because everything now is sound replaced. You know, it's like when you listen to a record, you're not actually hearing the drummer anymore. You yeah, know, yeah. and that's one thing that I really miss. I, I miss hearing the drummer. I, I used to remember how excited I would get to to hear a new record, and I would you know run all these scenarios through my head. I wonder if he's using the same kit, or if he got a new kit. I wonder what if he's using a brass snare or or a metal snare, or you know, or a steel snare, or a wood snare, or whatever. Mm. All these things that you know that go through my mind back then when I listened to it. None of that happens anymore because I know that what I'm going to hear is going to be the same freaking snare drum sample that's been on the last hundred metal with uh, Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Bummer, it, yeah. And you're not hearing the drummer anymore. I mean, you got a good production or whatever. I mean, it's clean and it's isolated or whatnot, but like, I haven't heard a band that put out a record that when I went to see them live sounds like their record in easily 20 years. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts you know and that used to be the highest compliment you could get as a musician when you played a show if you had somebody come up and you say man you guys sound just like your record man that i mean that was like the top of the compliments that you could get uh-huh. and nobody gets that compliment anymore because nobody sounds like their record yeah. you know yeah and because uh, none of this stuff is real since we're on that subject when you go to record are you more of a just re- practicing repetitively the same thing what are your tactics to go in there and be the one tick success that you've been having i mean what are is this something you just kind of listen to over and over and practice or uh, what's your, what's your way of doing it? Um, I think it comes down to being competent enough in your ability mm-hmm. to live with mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not, you're not ever going to be able to record something perfect. I don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's not going to happen. And the problem is, is when you listen to all of these recordings, they're all perfect and nobody plays like that. Nobody plays perfectly in time because their drums are put on a grid. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't happen. So, like, the moment that happens, you are not hearing the drummer anymore. You know, you're hearing a byproduct of, 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 of production, mm-hmm. which is not the same thing as listening to the drummer. <laughs> so when I go see a band live, 
you know, I hear a band just like any other band, but when I listen to the record, like they'll give necrophagist as an example. <laughs> that record, you know, it was literally recorded note by note, the solos, everything. I mean, I was told that by the producer that recorded the dang thing. You know what I mean? Like so, uh, okay, I get it. You you want to set you want to set a standard for a way of recording to have a type of sound recording, but mm-hmm. that band does not sound like that. So you should not expect them to sound like that because when you go see them live, they sound like two guitar players, a drummer, and a bass player playing music. They don't sound like what their record sounds like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the record is not real. It's nothing about it that's real. When you go see these people live, that's real. And it sounds nothing like the record. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's kind of where I'm like, I'm lost in the whole metal scene now because I'm not actually hearing people anymore. Organic. I'm hearing, yeah, I'm hearing a byproduct of machines. And I just, I, that doesn't, that doesn't attract me. To, yeah. to metal anymore, you know? It's an easy now, you know, on everything, just to kind of, you know, hey, just punch it in, we'll duplicate, we'll duplicate that, and blah, blah, blah. It kind of yeah. takes away the human out of it. I mean, a lot of times, they'll even take, like, the you know, the the best, cleanest eight bars of a blast beat, and they just loop it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, so you don't even hear, like, you know, the variation of, of time and, and and the struggle of actually doing it that's another thing like the music has just gotten so sterile there's no like there's no organic like you said there's no organic touch to it anymore well i like to hear drummers breathe that they're playing too and that's one big thing you're on too is when you see a drummer play metal music live you can actually feel you can feel him breathing through his double bass strokes and his his blast beats you can you can tell the hesitation you can hear the you know the relief you can hear the the power when it gets his air back etc that's what i notice sometimes yeah, 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 yeah. And I understand, you know, you want to make it, as, you know, when you record something, you want to make it as best you can, but do you want to change it completely? Now, see, that's where I draw the line. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have to edit a couple notes, you know, because it completely fell apart and it just doesn't sound good and you don't have the budget or the time to go back and fix it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But when it comes to taking your entire performance and making it fake, which is 99.9% of the stuff you're listening to, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't know. I just I've disconnected from it so much that I don't even I don't even enjoy it anymore. You know? <laughs> oh man, that's a bummer. Uh, but speaking yeah, of, I know. speaking of live playing, what are your favorite countries or uh, states you visited? And any memorable venues that kind of blew you away? Um, oh man, I mean, yeah, the world is a cool place. You know, I mean, it's just, it's so much cool things out there. But I mean, probably one of my favorite places on earth. Um, it's Lebanon. Oh, nice. Um, hey, Lebanon, dude, is, I can't even say enough good things about Lebanon. Um, mm. I know that sounds weird. Uh, people usually think of like, and le- I don't really consider Lebanon the, you know, the Middle East. It's more of a Mediterranean. But, uh-huh. You know, I, I look at it more like Greece or Turkey or, you know, like it's not, you know, when you say Middle East, people think Iran, Iraq. Syria, you know, and Syria is right there. I get it, but I don't know. Just something about that place. I mean, the people, the best food in the world. I mean, it's it's, it's more westernized than even Europe. You really? know what I mean? It, really? It's more westernized than Australia. I mean, it's it's nuts, man. Like you, like you go there and it's like not any different, really. You don't you don't have a different feeling. Like when you're in Europe, you feel like, oh, I'm in a I'm in a different country. Like when you're in Beirut, for example. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that knowing you're in Beirut, you don't feel like you're somewhere foreign. You know, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, 
Everybody yeah. speaks English. And when I say everybody, I mean everybody. Everybody speaks English. <laughs> That's weird. They, uh, they probably grew up watching American TV as well, so that helps. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, so uh, I, you know, Lebanon's cool. Australia's great. Um, I just like Australia for the wildlife, you know, like obviously with the snakes and me breeding, breeding the reptiles and whatnot. Most of my collection is from Australia, so I really like Australia. But Oh, nice. I mean, there's a lot of great places, man, you know, but Lebanon really sticks out. Australia sticks out. Um, um, and I, I forgot to mention you give clinics as well as far as a, a lesson school, but are you giving a, a clinics in these places as well or just playing live in other countries? Uh, no, it's typically, I mean, for the last 10 years, all I've really been doing is clinics. I haven't really been doing a whole a lot of band stuff, you know, because number one, I can't afford it. It just costs too much money, but, you know, with traveling expenses and stuff to make it profitable for anybody, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so I have been playing with Nader Static. Um, and, you know, Matter does maybe 10 shows a year, 15 shows a year. I usually end up doing most of the shows, but he uses several other drummers, too. You know, he doesn't really have, like, a solid, quote, lineup. He uses different people all the time, just depending on who's available and, and whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing that with him, and I've really enjoyed that because I don't have to commit to you know, starving on tour for 10 months a year and, and eating peanut butter sandwiches and sleeping on people's couches and stuff. I, yeah, you know, I'm, it's rough. I'm, I'm over that at almost 50 years old. You know what I mean? Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. done with that. Yeah. I can, I can uh, so, hear you on that. So yeah, for me, I mean, it, you know, the, the clinic thing has been really good because, you know, the companies, they really rallied behind me. I guess I was like the first extreme metal drummer on the scene that really had, you know, like, solid endorsements and people like really like getting behind me to, to put my crap in front of people that were non-metal drummers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one um, thing I want to touch base. Um, you're a big DW endorsee and that's, uh, I, I'm sure you attracted a lot of drummers to that, but you, currently you're playing that acrylic kit right now, aren't you? Dude, that, that acrylic kit sounds so good. <laughs> and it's not even really, that it, it's not even really about the sound, but I guess because of the nature of the material, dude, the consistency from drum to drum is amazing. So you know, wood is going from wood that. is very variable. So you know what I mean? Like, I'm, so, um, I'm sorry. So when, so when like when you're doing uh, when you got wood drums, like say for instance, you got like eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen. With a wood kit, there's always one or two drums that just sounds like it doesn't belong. Yeah, yeah. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't have the same properties as as like some of the other drums, right? And DW is really good for that because John, you know, handpicks shells for people and he makes sure that, okay, like, because I've, I've literally had drum kits where, like, for example, my premier Signia kit that I played for many years, I had 8, 10, 12, 13, 15. The timber of the 13-inch drum was higher than the 12. Yeah, the 13 So I could never, one. yeah, so I could never get that particular drum to sound like the other i could get it pitched right but it didn't sound like the other drums it had a different like sound quality about it mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. um the acrylic i guess again because they're they're the nature of the material that every single drum seems to sound like it belongs with the next yeah you know and that's really good if you're playing like you know, and, you know you're playing these fast pommels you know you kind of want that all to to sound uniform going through there. You don't want to have one drum that's really ringy and then one that's dead and then one that's in between. And then you end up with all of these different textures within, you know, your drum sound. 
Um, and yeah, the acrylics are really good for like the consistency for sure, man. Well, uh, I have a couple of acrylic sets myself, but did you notice a big shift in dynamics or attack when you shifted to acrylics or did it just kind of feel at home for you? No, dude, they're, I mean, honestly, if you walked into a room and you didn't hear, if you didn't see these drums, there's no way that you'd be able to tell that they're wood versus acrylic. There's no way. Yeah. They're louder too, though. I don't know. I don't know if they're so much louder or not. Maybe the older, maybe like the Bistolite drums. That's what I have myself. Yeah, these these acrylics are no way, shape, or form like old acrylics. Yeah, not even like the like the new you know acrylic stuff that Ludwig has. Um, these shells are completely different. They're seamless. They're completely round. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. they're they're a very they're a completely different monster than like say the Ludwig acrylic that you would buy like the Vistalites and stuff that you would buy in the 70s and 80s completely oh, yeah. different animals. yeah yeah and then I, nothing like and then I want to talk about are you still playing Axis pedals as well oh yeah oh, oh yeah yeah because yeah, I noticed when I was going through the drum magazine I, I still looked through them but I remember you being a big endorsee through almost all the magazines with the Axis pedals are you playing them yeah. longboard or shortboard these days longboard oh nice yeah nice. Yeah, just a longboard with uh, the 21-degree uh, axle piece now. You know, it gives a little more uh, throw in the stroke. So it kind of feels a little bit more like a regular pedal. It's not as uh, – doesn't feel like it plays through the head so much, you know, like mm-hmm. older axis pedals, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I like for playing really fast. Like if I'm doing an entire set of Hayden Turner, I would probably play the regular longboard, but – if I'm trying, if I'm doing my normal playing where I like to, you know, have a little bit more, oomph, you know, a little bit more, you know, more stroke, I, I will move to the 21, you know, because it just gives me a little more volume and a little more of a natural kind of a pedal feeling in it. And then as far as symbols, you've been a, <clears throat> excuse me, a minor on Dorsey for quite a while now too as well. Yeah, since 2008, yeah. Nice, nice. And those are great symbols as well. Man, you know, they, they are the... I would definitely say they're the most cutting edge company out there. I mean, they really listen. <clears throat> they they really are open to suggestion and, and putting out new product and, and trying new sounds. And, and they got the widest um, voicing of any company out there. You know, you can find pretty much anything you need in mind. You know, if you're looking for a Peisty 2002 type of sound, they got that in the Soundcasters. You know, if you're yeah. looking for a hand hammered, you know, K kind of sound, they got that in the bison. You know, if you're looking for like a Z custom Zildjian kind of sound, they got that with the customs, you know. Uh, yeah. I like your sand rides a lot too. Yeah, yeah, the service ride is killer. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's basically just a medium ride with a large bell, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. Um, it's not anything like crazy or nothing. You know, I, I've never really been a fan of like all of these metal drummers ride symbols, you know, mm-hmm. um, like the Lombardos and the Charlie Bonantes and, and that kind of thing. I've never really been a fan of that kind of sound. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a, I'm more of a Tony Williams kind of ride symbol guy. So you're, t- you're, talking, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're talking more like the Z custom mega bell ride sound, right? Is it, which you don't like? Yeah. yeah. Or like a, or like the Pisces power ride. Yeah. They yeah just, I, I, it sounds like you're tapping on a piece of metal, you know, just too high. You know, I, yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm not, I'm not into that. I like to like feel the symbol kind of give a little bit when I hit it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I like a center ride. Uh-huh. Like, like I said, something here like Tony Williams, you know, or more something like, you know, Weckle or somebody would play like it's more of a fusion kind of 
kind of sounds. Something with character, pretty much. Yeah. And same thing with my crashes. I play all thin crashes or medium thins, you know, no no power crashes, nothing like that. Um, you know, mostly thin, thinner symbols. Um, nice. Well, same thing with drum heads. Single ply heads, too. Like, you know, I like ambassadors, personally. Oh, really? It's always been my favorite, yeah. Top and bottom or just top? Top and bottom, yeah, ambassadors, yeah. Even on the kick drum, I like ambassadors. Oh, really? Yeah, they get for how thin they are. They give a lot of recoil to them too. That's what's cool about them. Yeah, and you know, just the tone, you know, and then the ambassadors sound completely different than like a G one, for example. Oh, you yeah. know, yeah, um, a G one feels a lot. I know they, Yeah, well, I know they use a different mylar too. You know, but um, <clears throat> I think just the, the openness of the, the ambassadors, I like a lot. You know. Well, uh, before I let you go, I wanted to touch base with the, the school that you're giving, the lessons and how they can reach you and how that's been going for you. Obviously, it's a little bit of a slowdown right now, but uh, you have a drum school, and uh, what would be the best place to check that out? Um, okay, so I'm in the process of building a new website right now. It's called DerekRoddyLive.com, mm-hmm. and it's basically going to be a streaming site. Uh-huh. So what's going to happen is when you go there, obviously, you know, it has the regular website stuff, but it's also not, also going to have a subscription based thing where for like, you know, a couple dollars a month or something, you'll be able to gain access to a stream camera that pretty much is going to be active 24 hours a day in my rehearsal room. So, oh, badass. you know, people will be able to come in and check in. If I'm practicing, that's cool. You can watch me practice. You can watch me record stuff or you can watch the band practice, you know, mm. and it's completely, you know, the unedited <laughs> and it's live and the sound is great. It's coming right off of my, my tools rigs and everything's close mic and uh, it sounds incredible, you know? So um, it's, I got some cool things coming actually. And then as far as lessons, I mean, if anybody wants to hit me up, you know, I do zoom back lessons, all of that stuff. My email is easy. It's Derek Roddy at hotmail.com. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can hit me through my email. Um, yeah, if you wanted to do Skype lessons or Zoom lessons or anything like that, uh, just hit me up. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty flexible with all of that stuff. Yeah, I'll definitely share the links to that stuff so people can kind of get to it a little bit easier. But, uh, yeah, you also have a, a great YouTube channel if you just want to see just Derek playing live and some of the studio stuff he's done. Yeah. So, you know, the YouTube channel, this is something that happened to me. I, I can't remember when the crash happened. Was it 2011 maybe or 2010? But I used to have an account on there. It was called Mr. Obsidian. <laughs> and um, I had a, man, it looked like 140-something thousand subscribers. And I was one of the pages that whenever that crash happened, the YouTube crash happened, I, I don't know if it was 2010 or 2000, I can't remember, but my channel was one of the ones that was lost. Oh, so nice. I had to start another channel, which if you go to YouTube, you can just you know search Derek Roddy and it'll come up or whatever. But um. I don't, I've never been able to really get the subscribers back, you know what I mean? But again, I don't really push. I haven't really been putting out a lot of videos or doing too much stuff, like I said, on those platforms that we were talking about earlier. I've been trying to just keep it based to my website. So in the future, if you want to see anything you know, by me, if you want to keep up with me, you're definitely going to have to, to come to my website because I am really over the whole Facebook, YouTube, thing you know like i was telling you before just the fact that every time i sign on to the thing they're making money off of me uh-huh. it pisses me off to be honest it makes yeah. me mad and yeah. especially how musicians are treated on these things you know they don't even let you know your fan base see your stuff and like they want you to buy boost and they want you to pay to have likes and all this stuff you know what man you can keep all that shit 
Yeah. I would just rather people just come to my site and have a direct link to me. It's too easy to find me online to not do that. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I totally agree. I'm just going to try to get back to that. It's just everyone's on that platform. So you kind of have to, you know, show them the way to the new stuff too. You know, so it's a little bit of a double edged sword there, but yeah, I totally agree with you on all that. Well, I get that. It's not, you know, I'm not saying that I'm not going to have a Facebook page or a YouTube channel. I am. It's just yeah. how much content goes up there is 1% of what's actually on my site. You know what I mean? So, yeah. like, if you really want to get into some cool content and stuff, you're going to have to come to my website because I'm not going to be putting this stuff up on YouTube and Facebook anymore. Yeah, yeah. And another thing, too, I recommend checking out Derek's uh, Drumeo videos. Uh, you did some great stuff with them, too, as well. I was kind of geeking out on that one last night. But there's a, there's a Oh, those are fun. Those guys are good, man. Those guys are good dudes. Jared and all those guys up there, they're great guys. Yeah, they're awesome. So there's definitely what I'm trying to say. There's definitely enough content to go out there and geek out on Derek Roddy like myself. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, I've, yeah. I've learned a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm not the best blast drummer in the world, but I still, you know, something I try to experiment with. And and I, I sure. just I, I just want to thank you for coming on and <clears throat> giving me your time. You're a busy guy. This has been a huge thing yeah, for me, man. Totally. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah, I I love doing this stuff. I can sit here and talk drum stuff all day. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, like I said, you want to check out Derek his YouTube, his Instagram, his new website. I'll put the link in for it. I know he's getting set up, but we'll get some traffic over there for him. But I want to thank you guys yeah, for tuning definitely. into this episode. Um, we're obviously on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. And thanks again, Derek, one more time there. No worries. Nothing. That was awesome, man. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, man.